Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto episode. This is episode 16. And today our guest is Siobhan Huggins. Now, Jackie, I had the pleasure of meeting Siobhan way back in 2017 when we were volunteering for the Keto Fest, uh, which was the Food and Science Festival in New London, Connecticut. And that was the first that was the first one, wasn't it? That was 2017 was the first um, Keto Fest. Um, we had both sort of graduated from um, the Facebook group of the Two Keto Dudes and was forum members and um, administrators for the forum with Richard and Carl. So, Great. yeah. Lucky you. I know. It was really good. And I got to meet Siobhan and her mum who had just arrived um, in Carl Franklin's kitchen in New London where we were started the planning of the well our volunteering for the festival for the next couple of days and it was almost like I knew Siobhan when she wasn't famous so um, (laughs) and it was really at this festival this particular festival in 2017 when she met Dave Feldman and that was the beginning of her of her journey over successful, you know, successive festivals and conferences, you know, it's been really quite a joy to to watch Siobhan grow into this. Um, I was going to say keto rock star royalty, and where she's really built her profile, raised her profile around helping Dave, and really coming into her own right um, with her own research into cholesterol and immunology. And it's been really, yeah. really joyful to watch on the sidelines. Yes, fascinating. So this is going to be um, the well, the first episode um, this week of two episodes coming up. And um, so, if people aren't familiar with um, Siobhan and who she is, Jackie, why don't you tell us a bit more about her? Siobhan Huggins is an independent researcher focused on the science of keto, carnivory, inflammation, insulin resistance, and how they all interact with each other. Over the past four years, she has lost 80 pounds, which is 36 kilos or five and a half stone, put chronic depression into remission and made numerous health improvements, all from going on a ketogenic and eventually carnivorous diet. She hopes to continue learning the science so she can share it with others in the hopes of better understanding why ketogenic and carnivorous diets appear to work for improving so many conditions and why people sometimes struggle even when implementing these dietary strategies and doing everything right, in inverted commas. She is on the board of the Citizen Science Foundation and is a frequent contributor to cholesterolcode.com where she posts on topics like lipids and immunity, heart disease and inflammation, as well as the results of her self-experiments with diet. Welcome, Siobhan, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we normally start with our guests, sort of asking them where in the world you are. I am currently located in Boulder, Colorado. And so I'm just looking through the window there, and it's actually quite early for you in your morning. Yeah, it's currently 6.30 in the morning, Um, so bright and early. We really appreciate you getting up early and we're trying to do this across multiple time zones and um, so Jackie in the UK, me in Bangkok, Thailand and you actually in Mountain Time. 
So we certainly appreciate you getting up bright and early. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm usually working around this time anyway, so it's no big deal to me. I just had to make sure my schedule was clear. So we really appreciate you doing that. So, um, Jackie, um, so just for Jackie, for the sake of Jackie, she knows a little bit, obviously, how Siobhan and I sort of crossed over, our paths crossed over at Keto Fest in 2017. Yep, that is when I met pretty much everyone. I met my now colleague at Keto Fest. I met you. I met my now roommate, Amber. And it was just like a pivotal moment in my history. Like if I was a superhero with a backstory, that would be one of the bigger plot points. Right. It's lovely to be have that, isn't it? To be able to look back on that time. Yeah, it is. It was a huge turning point for me because as we'll probably talk about, I before that had not really had a lot of social interaction in my life. I had been depressed from the age of 11 is when the symptoms started. And with that comes a lot of withdrawal. And then when I did interact with people, it was very looking back on every single, every single thing I ever said and criticizing every single aspect of it. Oh, I messed up that, whatever. So because of the depression, I was very down on myself and that resulted in social anxiety. And the social anxiety didn't go away by itself, although the chronic depression did when I went keto in August of 2016. It took about two months and then all the symptoms went away. But the social anxiety was actually something I had to work on. And so going to Keto Fest was a bit of an experience because I was actually pushing myself to interact with other people, even though I was really anxious. And I'm really glad I did because I met so many people there who are now really close friends, colleagues, roommates, just all this stuff. And I learned so much and got to talk to so many different people. And it's really where, I mean, my current career started. It's just like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, And that was the first time I met you. You were with your, with your mom, your mum, and you'd caught the bus from, from Indiana down to obviously New London, um, Connecticut with, with Keto Fest. And it was really your mum that sort of got you on this journey. So why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so the backstory for me is, like I said, when I was 11, I started getting symptoms of depression. And growing up, I always heard, oh, you know, you're probably going to get depression. It runs in the family. Um, There's not really much you can do about it, (laughs) Um, which is not the greatest thing to hear. But I did get starting symptoms of it. And at the same time, I was also starting to gain weight around the age of 10, especially in the midsection. I remember very vividly noticing it for the first time and being uncomfortable with it. And it didn't really make sense to me because I was very active at the time. I was doing um, gymnastics that I was really into since I had been five. Um, I was also in swimming lessons. I was climbing trees. I was running around all over the place, but I was still gaining weight. And um, so there was that. And then by the time I was 18, I was 240 pounds, which is over 100 kilos. I'm not exactly sure of the exact number. Um, I was very heavily depressed. I had social anxiety. I had skin issues, lots of acne, um, dandruff, eczema, keratosis polaris, which is a specific type of eczema that results in uh, little rough bumps on the arms. Um, It's essentially keratin buildup under the skin. Um, And that also made me very self-conscious because it made my arms kind of rough and red. And I had a boyfriend at the time and it was just not great. Um, So I had gone through multiple bouts of trying calorie restriction over and over and over again. And every single time I would lose a little weight, but I would gain it all back. And so as a result, I would be like, okay, I'm just not doing it hard enough. So I would calorie restrict even more. And at one point I was eating 800 calories a day, like sushi and this like fruit gelato and I was like oh but it's better than ice cream because it's low calorie and it was not and the issue with that is severe calorie restriction like that would make me feel very shaky very weak 
and it would also give me really bad mood swings. And it was depressive mood swings, so I'd go from depressed to even more irritable and depressed, and then depressed again. And it was really difficult. And so in 2016, at the beginning of August, I went into mom's office. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this calorie restriction thing again. It hasn't ever worked the bajillion other times I've done it, but you know, got to do something. And she was like, oh, instead of that, (laughs) why don't you try this keto thing I've been looking into? Unbeknownst to me, she was already paleo. She had lost some weight. And she was like, I've been looking into this keto thing, and I think we should do it together. And she handed me this magazine article, and it had one of those television doctors on it. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of bogus. And she was like, just look into it. And mom is one of the smartest people I know. So I was like, okay, this, you probably just gave me an example that was like on your desk. So I'll go look it up on the internet. And I did, and I came across, like, the keto subreddit and all this other stuff, and it seemed like there actually was something to it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start in two weeks after doing some more research, and I'm just going to do it really, really strict for two months, because I'm not going to know it works unless I actually put effort into it. And if it works then I have to stick with it forever because going back to what I was doing is just going to result in the same problems. So I did it for two months, and by the end of that two months, my depression was in remission and I had lost 20 pounds. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this is my life now. (laughs) And the depression going into remission was something I noticed because I went to a farm store with mom because she has a farm in Michigan. And I was standing in the parking lot, and it was nice and sunny, and I was just standing there, like, what is this that I'm experiencing right now? Because it's not familiar, and I don't remember feeling it really at all (laughs) in a long, long time, and I realized it was contentment. I was happy with my family. I was happy with what I was eating. I was happy with my job. I was happy with my friends. I was happy with my boyfriend. Just content. It was like that, I hadn't felt contentment in probably Hmm. almost a decade. So that was a huge turning point for me. And so mom was the one who got me into keto and we did keto together. We're still doing keto together. And so there was a lot of her going, hey, I found this book called The Obesity Code. I think you should read it. And I did. And that's when I was like, okay, calorie restriction, even keto is just completely pointless And even when I first started keto, I was like, what are low-calorie keto foods? And mom was like, don't do that. (laughs) Like, just eat when you're hungry until you're full, and everything will sort itself out. Like, this is how humans were made. Like, appetite is supposed to be regulated to how much you need. So just eat keto foods and don't worry about it. And obesity code was really the point where I was like, okay, mom was probably right. (laughs) And I had been looking for podcasts to listen to at work because I was working an IT job at the time. And besides being on the initial call with clients, most of it is just focusing on the task at hand. So I really wanted something to listen to. And I ended up looking keto podcasts and I found one called Two Keto Dudes. And they had interviewed a guy called Tom Naughton and I had watched Fathead with mom Um, when we first started. So I was like, oh, I want to listen to that guy. And at the beginning of the podcast, they were talking about errata and how if you have anything you want to correct, just send it into them. And I was like, oh, I like these guys. (laughs) I like people who can admit they're wrong and actually seek to improve themselves. And by that point, I was hooked. And that's obviously where we met, like in Carl Franklin's um, kitchen (laughs) in in the July of 2017 when he came and volunteered um, at Keto Fest. So, and I remember you standing there with with your mum. You'd just been on the bus, you know, from Indiana, like probably was what was it, 12 hours or something? It was something. Oh, it was something totally ridiculous, ridiculous. yeah. And here you were, you know, obviously we got to know each other through the the two Keto dudes. um, admin you know forum group as well so um yeah but yeah the keto fests were were fairly hectic obviously because it was science and it was the festival stuff and we were volunteering and we were helping out in the kitchen and 
just obviously doing the bags and you know the name badges that sort of stuff so they they were heaps of fun yeah so i should probably talk about how i actually got to volunteering there what ended up happening is i listened to the podcast a whole bunch and they were talking about how you know they have this facebook group and I was like, okay, cool. I want to join that. And I started posting in the Facebook group. Um, I started posting progress pictures. And I remember it was actually Richard Morris who commented, ah, you're getting your jawline back. And I was super excited because it was this podcast host, whatever. Uh, and at one point, I messaged Richard and Carl saying, hey, I'm going to be deleting my Facebook profile. I really disliked Facebook and that has not changed. And Richard messaged back saying, hey, this is actually good timing because we were thinking of opening up this forum and we wanted you to be an admin. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. <laughs> and so with being an admin, um, I also got added to their admin chat where I started talking to you and Richard and Carl and really Amber and Dave as well, who were also in there. And then they were talking about doing this Keto Fest thing. And I was like, oh, I absolutely want to go. And I talked to mom. And I was like, can we go to Keto Fest in Connecticut? Like, for my birthday? And she was like, I don't know. The travel might be kind of expensive. And we'd have to find room and board and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, but will you go to Keto Fest with me if I pay for all the travel and stuff? <laughs> and she was like, how is that a birthday present? And I was like, Mom, it'd be a birthday present because you'd be there with me. <laughs> and she's like, okay, now I can't refuse. So we both went to Keto Fest and worked super hard. It was so busy. And first years in anything are ridiculously hectic. But it was a lot of fun. And I got to meet a whole bunch of people. And I got to see presentations in person. And I got hooked on going to conferences because there's people who wanted to talk about stuff. And people at work didn't really care <laughs> like occasionally they'd ask like are you on drugs because i was just losing weight so rapidly it's like no i'm on keto <laughs> do you want to talk about it like no <laughs> i don't actually so that was a lot of fun and that's and, really yeah it was yeah. a turning point and it's really about the community isn't it like you know once you find these like-minded communities that you just obviously are there and they share the passion and they share the connectedness and you, something that, like you you said, you had been obviously socially isolating yourself and withdrawn because of the depression and now you're in this group of like-minded people that you have this extra special connection mm -hmm. with. Yeah, like-minded people who genuinely seemed to care about how I was doing. I didn't have to be as nervous about interacting with them or second-guessing myself because they were so caring and interested in my well-being and supportive and encouraging me to go out and do things. And on the forum, I really wanted to be able to give back to people. So if people would ask questions, I'd go and look it up. And that's what got me started on learning how to read papers so that I could answer their questions. And before keto, I had been a passive learner where... A lot of the ways that I would interact with mom was being like, mom, did you know? <laughs> and it was some random thing I had been learning about. And actually, it was something that me and mom had bonded over because we hadn't been very close before keto, but because we were doing it together, and I now had this topic that I knew I could always talk about with her. I didn't have to like second guess that she wasn't interested or anything like that. It, it really allowed me to reconnect with her, which I mm. really am glad about now. Mm. I love my mom. Fantastic. She's awesome. <laughs> and yeah, yeah so that was great. And then at Keto Fest, I met Dave and there was just something about him. He was talking about lipidology, which is the study of fat and its metabolism in the blood and all this stuff. And he was referring back to it as a distributed object network and talking about it in terms of programming and networking and I loved IT, and I was like, this makes sense to me. You're, you're speaking my language here. And not only that, he was also asking really good questions, like, does LDL, the so-called bad cholesterol, get oxidized in the blood on purpose as a sort of antioxidant? Do plaques develop as part of the healing response and not just 
your body randomly trying to kill you. And I was really curious about these things, but I could already tell that Dave was super busy as it was. And if I waited for him to answer the questions, it was just never going to get done. Uh, and so <laughs> at Keto Fest, every single time he had an open spot, I was immediately sitting next to him asking him one of these questions. And I had participated in the KetoFest cholesterol drop experiment. And on one of the sheets of paper um, on the Monday, you had to call this number to get buzzed up, essentially, to get the second blood draw done. And I called the number, and Dave picked up. And I was like, oh, this is this guy's cell phone number. So I added it to my <laughs> phone contacts. <laughs> and I think I asked permission to text him if I had questions about cholesterol or something. And he said, sure. Um, so the first thing I did on the bus ride back is I texted him and asked, do you have any resources that you recommend for understanding lipidology? And initially he said, yeah, I'd recommend reading through my simple series, which is a comic version that's kind of explaining the basics. I was like, I've already read that. Anything else? <laughs> and he was like, well, Peter Artia's The Straight Dope on Cholesterol is where I started, so I'd recommend that. I started reading through it on the bus and it totally hurt my head. But in the first section, there was a part that said, if you want to be a citizen lipidologist, read these two books. And it was two textbooks. And it was clinical lipidology and therapeutic lipidology. And I immediately got a copy and started reading them. And it was so much easier to understand. <laughs> and it was starting to make sense to me. And granted, there were things that I felt, oh, I don't really know if that's true. Or I felt like they were maybe making assumptions, but I was able to sort through it and get to understanding the basics of how things integrate into the body and how they move through the body and what they do. And then I started researching into things that Dave had expressed interest in, and I started talking to him in the admin chat and just sending him like these long walls of text of, I found this thing, have you considered this? And instead of, you know, ignoring me or being like, I'm busy right now, could you not send me massive walls of text, thanks, he responded just as excited as I was. And that had, like, never happened to me before. Usually, if I got into something, I would become extremely obsessive with it. This happened with gymnastics, it happens with tea, whatever. And the person who got me into it, I would eventually surpass them because I would be talking about tea and like have you tried this varietal from this growing area um have you tried brewing it with exactly this temperature and exactly this many grams of leaf according to this many ounces of water and they were like i just <laughs> i just like a cup of tea occasionally like what are you <laughs> but dave actually responded with you know oh have i looked into this cholesterol thing no i haven't but what you're talking about really makes sense and have you considered this other aspect and it was just really exciting to have someone I could talk to who was equally excited about something and equally as obsessive. And so that's how I started kind of volunteering for Dave. So I was working a full-time IT job um, at a help desk. And then immediately after work, I would be researching cholesterol. I would be talking to Dave. I would be doing all this different stuff. And yeah, it was like working two full-time jobs. And in 2018, I quit my job <laughs> because Dave said that the donations that he was getting to Cholesterol Code was not enough to share with me. And he wanted me to come work with him. And hopefully other people would donate to me as well through Patreon and things like that. And they did. And now that's what I do. I <laughs> research. Lovely. Right. Tell us about some of the experiments that you've done. Yeah, so I started out really just replicating experiments that Dave had already done. <laughs> Replication is extremely important in science. And so he has all of these experiments that he's done by himself. And I was like, I want to verify for myself that these work and see if anything in me differs. And so I think... The first blood test I got, besides just like a baseline I had gotten on keto, was when I was sick with an office bug. And so I had like this sick data. <laughs> I was like, look at my inflammation markers. They're off the charts. <laughs> I was really excited. And then I started doing like the cholesterol drop protocol, which is where there's different forms. But the version that I did was um, I did a seven-day water fast. And I had fasted off and on for a couple days before that. 
um, but never that long, so it was quite interesting. Mostly it was boring, because <laughs> there's just, what do I do? I can't eat. What do I do? My schedule is all messed up. And then after that seven days, I did five days of double my normal calories, which was like 3,000 calories or something. And the point is that when you fast or eat very low calorie on a low-carb diet, your cholesterol will often go up. And then after you do the high calorie, your LDL will drop and your total cholesterol will drop. <laughs> and I think for that one, um, I saw like 150 milligram drop, which is really significant. Like if your doctor saw those two tests side by side, they'd be like, this must be a lab error. That doesn't happen. But it's something that Dave had been working on a lot, and he calls it the inversion pattern. And now, overall, we just refer it to the lipid energy model, where the energy incoming or expending in the system that's going on is influencing your lipid metabolism as a result. And the reason we think that is, is because these lipoproteins, which is what LDL is, it's what HDL is, these are essentially little containers in your blood that carry hmm. fatty stuff in them because your blood is water-based and so you can't just dump fat in there by itself. It will clump up, it'll not work, um, like oil and water. It doesn't mix, so you have to have it in these particles that are water-soluble on the outside and fat-soluble on the inside so you can properly carry the cargo around. And you need to do that because one of the particles that's inside is triglycerides. It's a type of fat-based energy. And so you need to get this energy to all the different trillions and trillions of cells in your body. And how do you do that? You carry it in this particle and it can drop off the fat-based energy to your cells and they can basically pull it out of the container for use. And they can also take this fat-based energy to your fat cells and replenish them with fat so that if you don't have access to food, then it can come back out and mm. your cells can get energy that way. And so probably what's happening is when you're fasting, your reliance on internal energy is going up. So you're relying on your stored fat. And when this happens, it comes out of your fat cells and it's transported to the liver on another particle. And in the liver, you make these triglycerides from the fatty acids you got and then you can ship them back out in this lipoprotein VLDL that's very triglyceride-rich. And when you're eating, there's actually a different pathway from the gut where you eat some fat and your gut absorbs the fat and packs it up in chylomicrons, which are these massive hulking beasts. Like, they're bigger than every other lipoprotein by far. And they will initially carry the energy to the different cells and there will be some spillover and that will go to the liver and they'll carry it to the fat cells and replenish that. But then by 12 hours fasting, they should be out of the system and gone. Meanwhile, after the VLDL has dropped off its cargo, some of it will be cleared by the liver, but some of it will be uh, remodeled into LDL and LDL will stay in the system for a couple of days. So in terms of getting a lot of fat from food versus getting a lot of fat from your own storage, you have the chylomicrons coming from the gut, which are just completely gone. They leave no trace by 12 hours in healthy people. Meanwhile, the VLDL is remodeling to something else that stays in the system. So on a blood test, this might look like when you're fasting, your LDL has gone up, potentially because of this VLDL turnover where you're kind of going through a whole bunch of these things because you need the energy, and then some of it remodels, and that stays. Meanwhile, on the high-fat, high-calorie days, you are getting your energy, partially, um, from chylomicrons, and then they're gone. And you're not needing to supplement as much energy from your stored fat, and so your LDL is being down-regulated because there's less turnover. That's the working hypothesis. <laughs> we would still need to confirm it, but this is something we spend a lot of our time on and we end up going down deep rabbit holes of glycogen and <laughs> just a whole bunch of different stuff. But that's so, the basic overview. It, um, it sounds like yeah, go ahead. you can 
if you're going for a blood test tomorrow, you could influence that result by what you do today and how long you fast for. Yeah, so the pattern that Dave kind of mapped out is for LDL-C, which is a measurement of cholesterol within the LDL particle, um, which is typically what you'll see on your standard lipid panel. That will reflect, among other things, but a big influence on it is the past three days of what you've been eating. So if I had a blood test in three days and I wanted to do an experiment related to this or show my doctor as a conversation starter that this can happen, what I would do is I'd get a blood test today, this morning before drinking tea, before just water only fasted. And then I would you know, probably eat a ton of fat over the next three days. And then I'd go in 12 to 14 hours water only fasted and I get another blood test, and likely what I would see is that my cholesterol would be much lower than usual. Um, and some people do this, you know, they've stated they did it for an insurance test where, you know, cholesterol level determines... A premium, yeah. Um, ...payment of that. Yeah, premium, that's the word I was looking for. And sometimes they'll say, oh, I do it to get my doctor off my back. Dave and I don't actually recommend doing that because we both personally really value our doctors and our doctors is, are working as kind of health consultants where they're looking at our health markers and making recommendations based off of that and overall just helping us keep an eye on our health. And so we both really want to give them data that's actually accurate because there are things that can influence cholesterol levels that may be worth following up on. But if you're messing with the data and not telling the doctor about it, they may miss mm -hmm. it. So... But uh, my previous doctor back in Indiana, I had brought in my results from the protocol and said, look at this difference. Now let's talk about why this is. You've recently changed doctors and you've actually, you know, raised a really good point that you had a relationship, obviously, with your, your personal care physician, your PCP. And now you were sort of mentioning just the other day how good this particular doctor is and engaging. But often we get general practitioners that uh, perhaps cholesterol is bad. Look at that number. How do we have that conversation with our doctors, knowing what we know that, you know, cholesterol is good. It's needed for various systems. Yeah, so if you have that kind of perspective of, you know, cholesterol should be taken in context, there are good and bad reasons for it to be high or low, and you want to have that conversation with your doctor, what I did with my previous doctor, who really wasn't familiar with this concept, was I kind of researched for myself both sides of what people were talking about. I tried to understand, you know, where my doctor was coming from, where the mainstream view was coming from. And then I also researched other things like, you know, cholesterol values in women and does it really relate to risk. And without the context, a lot of studies have found that it doesn't really. There's additional things that need to be looked at sometimes. And granted, that is, you know, studies of correlation, so I can't really say for sure. Um, it is something I was looking at as particularly relevant for me. And what I did is I printed out study abstracts of things that lended to my perspective and made me think differently about it. And I highlighted particular parts of the abstract, <laughs> like this is the part I want you to look at. And I made sure that the uh, paper title and the DOI was clearly visible so that my doctor could look it up later if he wanted. And I brought that into my next appointment and I said, here's stuff that really changed my perspective or lends to my perspective. Let's talk about this. I appreciate your concern and your perspective and I want to find somewhere where we can kind of compromise to where we're both comfortable because when I'm working with doctors, I really want a partnership where if they're genuinely concerned about something, they're not afraid to say, hey, I'm really concerned about this. But on the other hand, I want them to be able to listen to me and understand where I'm coming from and hopefully kind of meet mm. in the middle and also mm. outline just what I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with, you know, changing my diet because I use this for depression management. So that's not happening. But maybe mm. I can get extra testing and we can review that together. And so through my doctor, I got a CIMT, which is a measurement of the thickness of the arteries in the neck. Um, and that's kind of 
loosely predicts risk, but the thing that I really like about it is you can track it over time. So if it's yearly going up um, really rapidly, then that's something that I would pay attention to. I also got a Doppler, and that's also an ultrasound of the neck, and it's basically visually looking for plaque in the arteries and also measuring the blood flow, so it's looking at how stiff the arteries are as well. Um, and then I also got a baseline CAC done. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, my dad had a heart attack in mm-hmm. his 40s. If I wait until the standard recommended 35 kind of timeline for a CAC, then I could be mm-hmm. <laughs> well on my way into heart disease. And I really just mm-hmm. want to establish it's probably going to be zero right now, but I want to be able to compare in five years or however many years to follow up on that. Um, and he agreed to all of those. And everything looked great. And he was like, okay, I guess we're good for now. And I said, okay, let's continue with these tests over time. We can keep an eye on them together. And if anything looks concerning, then we'll talk about, you know, what to do then. Um, And that is part of why one of the things I really stress to people is baselines. Please get baselines. I'm so Mm -hmm. glad I got these baselines because... If they had been high from the start because of maybe my previous lifestyle resulted in that, it would be unlikely in someone my age, but always a possibility. You just never know. Mm. But if I had checked that at 35 and it was high, you know, Mm. did it come from the current diet? Did it come from the previous diet? There's no real way to know. And I've seen so many people who are like, I got my first CAC four years into keto and it was high. Did keto cause it? It's like, I don't know. No one can tell you that. I mean, this is something that's supposed to take decades, but it could have been lower before and now it's higher. It could have been higher before and now Mm -hmm. it's lower. It could have been the same exact thing and it's stabilized now. But without a baseline, there's just no way to tell. Mm -hmm. And so it makes people freak out. And then it's like, okay, well, now I have to do all of this, you know, additional testing and I have to follow up in a couple of years. But that's a couple of years of just stressing out. So it's all (laughs) resolved if you just get a baseline so you know where you're starting at when you first go keto, or at least like within the first year, hopefully, because not everyone thinks that they're going to stick with it is the thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this for like a month, or I'm going to do it until I reach my wedding weight, or I'm going to, you know, whatever, and then I'll stop. But then they get kind of (laughs) trapped because they feel so much better, and by then... You know, it's been a couple of years and now they're getting their baselines done and it's just all over the place. So with that, to kind of recap, I give my doctor respect and I ask that they also respect my decisions. And I have experienced a doctor in New York who I didn't get along well with. We didn't make a good partnership. And I think part of it was just his work environment wasn't good. He was probably dealing with a lot of people where he wasn't seeing patients improve. And that can mess with a doctor really bad because they do want to help people. But as a result, he was pushing various medications for stuff that was going on at the time, high cholesterol being one of them. And I had said, look, I really want to try diet and exercise first. And this was before I had gone keto. And I was like, if, you know, maybe this is being influenced because I'm just not a healthy person right now. And maybe if I get healthy, then it'll get better. And he had said, you know, you can eat grass and drink water and your cholesterol won't change. So I really want you to take this medication and I don't care what you think. Nothing else you do is really going to matter. And I had said, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And I fired him. And he said, are you coming back for the next appointment? I said, no, I don't think we can work together because you're not listening to me. And like, you are not my dad. (laughs) You don't just get to tell me what to do and I'm going to blindly do it. I have my own opinion. I have my own perspective. I have my own concerns. And, you know, if we can't work together, then I'll find someone else. So there's kind of two approaches. I try and work with my doctor if I can. I listen to him. He listens to me. We communicate. Or if that can't happen, then I find someone else to work with because the doctor I had been working with in New York was berating me for my health and making me feel awful about it. And it's like, dude, I know I'm unhealthy. I want to get better. Why don't why don't we, you know, help each yeah. other here? <laughs> and it just wasn't working. And, 
you know, I, I'm not going to go to a doctor that just stresses me out every appointment. And it like I have, I was stressed enough at that point in my life. So yeah, I take them as health consultants and I understand that their job is to give me advice. And my job is to interpret that advice and say, I am comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with this. What about this? And then go from there. So an ongoing discussion is really helpful. And even with doctors who are skeptical um, of keto, if you can kind of just watch your progress over time, it's like, hey, my diabetes is resolving. Hey, my depression is resolving. Hey, my PCOS is resolving. You know, if you talk to the current low-carb doctors, a lot of the time it was a patient like that that made them really start to Mm -hmm. reconsider and say, hey, maybe there are different dietary options that actually work. And one thing that I've talked with Brett Schur about, who's a cardiologist who's now working at Diet Doctor, he had talked a lot about doctor burnout and how the rates of depression and suicide among doctors is really, really high. And I think part of that is if you're in a job where you feel like you just can't do anything, like nothing you do matters, like you're following all these guidelines, you're giving all this medication, you're giving this dietary advice, and your patients just keep getting worse year after year after year. It, I just can't imagine how mm. awful that must be. And so you get these doctors who are like, well, what am I even doing here? You know, why am I even a doctor? I'm not helping anyone. Mm. But then you have this one patient who is getting better. And they're like, I'm on a ketogenic diet, I'm on a low carb diet, whatever. And I feel better. I'm so much healthier now. You know, all my blood work is getting better, all this stuff. And it can make a doctor reconsider and perhaps even start using it on their own patients. And then it's like, I can actually help people. (laughs) Mm. I can actually do something that I wanted to do when I became a doctor. So even if I have a doctor, I don't necessarily agree with on everything. I mean, Anytime you interact with people, that's going to happen. I don't immediately be like, whatever, they have this idea about cholesterol or this idea about blood pressure or this idea about diabetes or depression or whatever. And I don't agree. I don't immediately discard them because, you know, part of it could be educating them and being like, look, this may not necessarily be how you're thinking of it. Um, And sometimes that can help them. And the other thing is they have clinical experience which can be really helpful if I run into something really weird. Like my current doctor has given me suggestions I haven't even thought of. I mean, even for baseline testing. I was like, my one of my big concerns is heart disease because of my family history. There is a possibility that I'm wrong about the cholesterol thing. I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but I don't know for sure. Do you have recommendations for what to look at in general? And he said there were three primary things he looks at with heart health. One is structural, so he recommended an echocardiogram, which is, um, I think, an echocardiogram. It's it's like an ultrasound. ultrasound. It's an ultrasound of the heart. Yeah, so he recommended an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound to look at the structure of the heart. Um, He also said uh, another thing he looks at is electrical issues with the heart. So with that, he recommended an EKG. Um, just to make sure all the electrical signals are working properly. And then he also recommended CIMT, carotid Doppler, all that type of stuff um, to look at blockages, which was the other primary concern. And I was like, cool, I wouldn't have thought of two of those things. Let's do it. (laughs) And so I find that really valuable because, like, sure, I research, and people will sometimes be like, well, why do you even go to a doctor? You know everything already. It's like, okay, first of all, no, I don't. (laughs) I absolutely do not know everything. And second of all, you know, sometimes just talking something out with someone can really help you put your thoughts in order and be like, okay, I know I have this problem. You know, I did an experiment a year ago and I haven't lost any of the weight from it. I know Mm. I have that problem. And my doctor can kind of talk back to me and be like, okay, what are your thoughts on what you think you can do to kind of come back from that. Is there anything you know is an issue and you're doing it anyway just because of bad habits? It's like, okay, yeah, (laughs) definitely so. Um, Okay, so let's work on that. But then the other thing is doctors have clinical experience, so they may have experienced, you know, vitamin deficiencies and, you know, really weird issues and, They may have come across that in another patient and they can say, hey, have you considered it might be this? Why don't we test for this? 
And because I don't have that sort of experience, it can be like, oh, I never would have thought of that. I, I just mm. didn't even know that was a thing. And so there's just so much that I can learn. And along the way, I can share what I've experienced with my doctor. And we both are better off for it. And it's just comforting to have someone that I know, you know, if I come across a really embarrassing issue or something, and I don't want to talk about it publicly, then I can go to my doctor and I know he yeah. can't tell anyone. <laughs> and so it that's just really valuable, especially, you know, being so public having something completely private, you know, I haven't run into anything yet, but, you know, if I have kids in the future and get pregnant, I may have a bunch of really weird questions and I may not want to ask Twitter about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, all of that is just stuff I think about in regards to doctors and interacting with them. I find it super helpful to have a good doctor on my side. That mm. is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you're lucky because in the US you can choose your doctor and you can change it, whereas here in the UK, we're pretty much stuck stuck with the doctor we've got, unless, luckily, we've got a practice which has got a lot of doctors in, but you can't always get in to see the one you want. Yeah, and I do know some people from out of the country who sometimes come to the US just to have an initial appointment with a US doctor so that they can do remote consultation from their home because they can't find someone they can work with in their own area. And I'm glad that's an option, but obviously not everyone can do that. Um, so I'm hoping like more health consulting stuff that's not necessarily doctor doctor can happen to where it's like you don't even need that initial visit. And granted, every single thing is caveated with this isn't medical advice. I'm not your doctor, blah, blah. But at least you have access yeah. to the information if you need it. But lots of us, that's mm -hmm. enough. Just having access to the information or understanding it, we've, we're we can think about it and say, does this work for me or doesn't it work for me? And make a decision or give it a go and see how you feel. There's lots of different avenues you can take without actually getting official advice. Yeah, definitely. And you can take that stuff back to your doctor and say, hey, I want to try this. Um, I talked to another doctor about it. Will you help me do this? And sometimes they'll you know, work with you in that regard. And yeah, it must be more difficult not having the option and so it's either you know <laughs> the phrase kind of goes change your doctor or change your doctor and when one of those options are removed it's like okay I guess I really am going to have to try and make this work and try and get the information across but luckily there is more research being done on ketogenic diets that you know you can take it in and be like look you know Verda is doing this stuff with diabetics have you read up on this at all they also have results on fatty liver mm. you know all this other stuff have you looked at it and you know <laughs> a couple decades ago you wouldn't have been able to do that I mean even before Verda we didn't have even if it's not randomized we didn't have this long-term no. data on diabetics there were clinics who used low carb for diabetics even you know in the 1930s there are case reports and stuff that they had published on it but it definitely, I think, wasn't as well-known and wasn't as well-researched. We have swaths of information now, especially on remission rates. I don't think I've seen anything else um, from a clinician or anything like that on, you know, hard percentages of this is how many people, this is how many came off their insulin, et cetera, et cetera. And that information is valuable to doctors because it's something they can really understand. Like, okay, so this is actually working and, you know, it seems like you're going to be compliant with it, and that makes me happy. So, fine, let's try it. I don't think it's going to do anything, but, you know, sometimes they might be like that. But once once it actually works, it's like, well, yeah, fine. <laughs> fine. What I was going to say was um, so often in our Facebook groups, you know, people who start out, and I think the key thing that you just sort of mentioned was obviously they may not have had a baseline. But there's this post, this this out there post, help me, you know, I've been to my doctor, he's seen that my cholesterol is high, I've just started um, three months into my keto journey and he wants to put me on a statin. So what's your advice for the, the panic poster whose cholesterol is now high after starting a keto, low-carb keto diet? Right, so... Obviously, my response always starts with, I'm not a doctor and this isn't medical advice. 
But again, it comes back to this thing of your doctor is a health consultant, just like with a financial consultant. If they give you advice and you're like, well, I don't want to do that. The really easy response is no, (laughs) sorry, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, And again, taking in, you know, doing your own research. Sometimes people do research and decide that they're not comfortable with higher cholesterol levels. And, you know, there are people like that who come to Cholesterol Code, which is a site that I'm on all the time and contribute to. And there are people who are like, I'm really not comfortable with it. I want to lower my cholesterol. What do I do? And the most consistent advice we have is increase your carbs and lower your fat proportionally. So a carb swap. And sometimes it can be 50 to 75 grams. So still low carb, but it can bring it down a little. But first of all, okay, you're three months in. A lot of what I've seen from people coming in under four months into a ketogenic diet, they're still in this sort of adaption phase where things can be all over the place. Triglycerides can be randomly high before the four month mark. They can be, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's like, I, if it were me, I would want to wait until that four or five month mark and then get retested to see if it was just fluctuation. And then, you know, if it is consistent and that is your level now, I would want to look at the research on both sides and understand what people are talking about and come to my own conclusion of what I am Mm -hmm. personally comfortable with. Because the short answer is we don't know if it's higher risk. Like, I don't know of a study that has looked at low carbers long term and said, okay, these guys had high cholesterol, but their HDL was high and their triglycerides were low. You know, their insulin was low and they had this level of risk over the course of five years. I've never seen such a thing, especially with those who have super high cholesterol levels. You know, there are some amount of people who will go on a low carb diet and their cholesterol will go up. Those you can kind of refer to as standard hyper responders on a low carb diet. But then there are other people who are usually really lean and athletic or just like normal weight people. And they'll see cholesterol will go super high, HDL will also go super high, and triglycerides will often be really low. And we have the exact numbers for this profile on cholesterol code, but the main point is they have this really unique profile that we have started seeing really consistently. And we call those guys lean mass hyperresponders. And these are like levels of cholesterol that you would only see in genetic disorders, presumably. But they have previous blood work where they had normal cholesterol before. And the question on their mind is, is this high risk for heart disease? Mm. And the answer is, we don't know. (laughs) Like, we have no clue. This is a profile I've not seen stated in the literature anywhere. It probably hasn't been studied very much. There's a case study regarding one of them, but it doesn't, you know, really refer to the profile in particular, just that they were on a low-carb diet and had this sort of cholesterol profile. And so at that point, it's like, we get the question of, should I be worried? Mm. It's like, I don't know. (laughs) I can't Mm. tell you that. The only one who can say whether you should be worried is kind of you. And that's a conversation to have with your doctor after doing a lot of research on it. And some people are comfortable with it for the long term. They think it's not really a big deal. Some people are more cautiously optimistic, which is where I'm at which is like, okay, I have a feeling it will probably not be higher risk, but I'm going to keep an eye on all this stuff just to be sure. Um, There are some people who are cautiously pessimistic, and so they make dietary changes to move away from the profile or take medication. And I think all those options are totally valid. And ultimately, it's your life. You're the one who has to live with your decision. And so it should be a decision that you're comfortable with. And the other thing is, if you make one decision and then you start seeing things that you don't like, either, you know, side effects or you feel worse or, oh, I decided the trade-off wasn't worth it, or, you know, my markers of risk are going up or whatever it is, you can always change your mind later at the same time. So number one, you can always say no to a doctor You can say, I'm not comfortable with it. You can offer alternatives. You can say, I'd rather keep an eye on it. But then the other thing that's really important is just deciding for yourself what you want to do, I think is important. And people who come to Cholesterol Code with this question, we offer resources. Dave has a presentation on the risk of high cholesterol on a low-carb diet context. 
um, that's more cautiously optimistic. But then we also have a guest post from a lipidologist who's coming more from the cautiously pessimistic side who thinks you should try to lower your cholesterol on low carb. And we want to provide both of those options to read through so you can really understand the entire conversation that's being held. And so you can say, well, whichever side isn't really as convincing to me. I fall more on this camp or in between or whatever. And then at the very least, you kind of know the lay of the land and can go on from there. I mean, it's a continual process for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a question that Dave and I want answered as well. And it's why we started the nonprofit Citizen Science Foundation. And the first project that we're funding is a study to look at lean mass hyperspondors over the course of a year. Really, really um, just good look at the actual heart. No scans of that. See, are there signs of rapidly progressing heart disease in these people? Um, because with the levels of cholesterol they're running from the hypotheses that we currently have in the mainstream, they should be, you know, over the course of the year, it should be evident that this is leading towards heart disease if it's going to. Um, so hopefully we'll have at least the beginnings of an answer from that. We're currently going through the IRB approval process for that still collecting funding for it, but we have a bunch of really awesome people who are helping us. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's exciting. <laughs> but it's like the anticipation of, you know, when it finally comes in and we have all the data, we're, whatever it is, we're going to share mm-hmm. it because yeah. people need that information. And it could be. Mm-hmm. That is exciting. Could be good. It yeah. could be that. I mean, that yeah. is exciting. So yeah, that's the, the lean mass hyper responder. So that's obviously someone that's um, really was the basis of Dave's I suppose only, you know, his own journey being a lean mass hyper responder, being a lean athletic individual where, you know, he was expecting to see these results of actually lowering his cholesterol but starting a low-carb diet and then obviously having this this inverse relationship, as you said, um, lowering his fat but obviously having more circulating, you know, circulating fat mm. in the system. And I suppose the yeah. metaphor of that energy, distribu- energy distribution is a great metaphor for um, explaining cholesterol to people. Yeah, um, he did see his own cholesterol go up on a low-carb diet. I don't know that he ever reached lean mass hyperresponder levels, but it was definitely up there. And I think at certain points in his life, he's been a borderline where he doesn't quite reach cutoffs, but he's kind of almost there. And yeah, that's what got him started looking into it because he went keto to resolve his prediabetes. He wanted to do something about that, be proactive, and keto made sense for him. He ended up resolving that, but then when he got blood work, his cholesterol was super high, and it just led him down this rabbit hole. And yeah, for me, it was kind of similar, except I had high cholesterol going in, and it's maybe gone down like a little bit, but... I'm also not like super lean. So I suspect if I lost like 20, 30 more pounds, I might start trending more towards that. But yeah, it ends up, it gives you a personal investment into these answers where it's like, okay, I really need to know because this is Mm -hmm. relevant for me, you know, with my history, with my blood work, all this type of stuff. And if it's, you know, okay, the risk is increased for heart disease, then that's definitely something I want to know about as soon as possible. And I'd want other people to know about as soon as possible. And it's why Dave and I don't say, oh, don't worry. Oh, it's fine. You know, because we, we just don't know. And we don't want to say anything that gives people comfort. And then, you know, the lean mass hyperresponder study comes out and it is like, oh, actually, this is something that would be awful. <laughs> so you will never, ever, ever hear yeah. me say that. Because... I I don't know. So the work of the Citizen Scientist sort of foundation and that's obviously really now the focus of Dave's work is obviously the not-for-profit and working towards these experiments. So we're definitely focusing on that. Um, it's one aspect of what we're doing. We're also working on, you know, filling in the gaps of the lipid energy model I look into things like lipids in the immune system and inflammation and 
chronic inflammation, all this type of stuff. And it kind of all integrates into itself in a way. Um, so we definitely have many, many things going on and that's one part of it, but every single day is super busy and we're just trying to figure out how things work in part, trying to find studies that show, you know, what Dave calls the lipid triad or the low carb triad, where it's high HDL, high LDL, low trigs. And he has this low carb cholesterol challenge that has been going on for, I think, like two years at this point. Where he put a bounty, like, he will give you money <laughs> if you mm. find a paper that shows that triad and he has specific cutoffs for them and shows higher risk of heart disease. And the reason it's like, okay, why would he be paying people to prove him wrong is because we really want to know if that exists somewhere. And <sighs> we haven't, the money is unclaimed as of yet. And that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, it just means it's an ongoing question, like, do you have a study that meets these requirements, non-drug, non-genetic abnormality in humans? Uh, we haven't found it yet, but, so that's another thing that we're constantly keeping an eye out for. Hmm. And, yeah, it's, I've been working with Dave now for uh, two years, a little over two years, and... I can't believe it's been that long and I can't believe it's only been that long <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it feels like a decade and a couple days at the same time. Mm. And yeah, constantly busy, just constantly trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> well, Siobhan, that's a really interesting part of your story. We're going to have to hold it there. This is obviously going to have to be the two-part episode and we're going to have to get you back on the show. So listeners let's just hold it there for Siobhan and her story and we'll be back next week yeah thanks for having me on and I'll definitely be back wow Jackie what an inspiring story yeah very fascinating and it's so interesting to sort of obviously hear about the I suppose the the leading light her mum and that was a real part of her story which really resonated with me in my journey was the how mothers have led us both to um, low carb and keto. And I think it's fantastic that you, you actually listened to your mums, both of you. But on, on another on another point, my mum has listened to me on some aspects of this way of eating. So she is mostly very low carb. Well, that makes a change from our, our young men in the lives, our young, young adult men. So probably, hopefully, will one day listen to, to us and um, make some changes to their their diets yeah i mean my boys do a little bit so they cut out potatoes and um things like that they don't have potatoes rice and pasta anywhere near as much as they used to and in fact ben said to me yesterday i think i need to go on keto so he's wow, done it that's he's exciting done it before he sort of flits in and out of it mm. but he mostly intermittent fasts as well that's really good for him yeah. But yeah, obviously for Siobhan and her recovery and remission from, you know, depression, that's a significant um, impact on her, her health and her well-being. Certainly we have the privilege of seeing her on Zoom when we're recording and she's just so vibrant and she's just so animated. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And yeah. who, you know, you, you can't say, nobody knows what would have been, but how how different her life would have been if she hadn't have made those changes. Mm -hmm. And we have to give a big shout out to Rebecca, her mum, so for, for that. That's just wonderful. And obviously her story will continue next week, which we'll look forward to bringing, um, bringing her back on for the next episode. And you can find the show notes at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero one six. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. 
Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.